okay. I thought we were going to listen to it again. You know, it's great. It's very soothing. I like that. Well, hey, my name's Carter, and I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Church, and I just want to welcome you. Thank you for being here today. And I'm excited uh, to start a new series on worship in the next couple of weeks. We actually have a guest speaker from Mercy Hill, our sending church, coming next week. It's going to be really, really good, one of the executives there. Uh, but that, that'll take us into a new series on deep, dependent worship. I'm really excited about that. That takes us to Christmas, by the way. I know. It's crazy, right? We're about a month and a half out, so here we go. It's, it's time for the holiday season. Buckle up for that. Uh, but we're going to end our short series today called He Gave, and we've talked about giving our time. We've talked about giving our talent. Today, what are we talking about? Giving our treasure. It's everybody's favorite, right? Everybody, everybody loves talking about money. So here we go. This is going to be good. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30 today. Talking about the parable of the talents, again, if you want to turn there or find that on your device. We're also going to be in Matthew chapter 6 for a little while. So if you want to turn there, and we're going to jump to that at some point as well, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. But I want to go back to the parable of the talents, really, because even though we talked about it last week, which was great, and applied it to our abilities and our giftings, now we definitely need to apply it to our money. Because uh, that's, really that's really what it centers around. As I've already said in this series, I know many people have a nervous tick, you know, when we start talking about money in church. But if we're serious about following Jesus, he talks about money a lot. I mean, like a lot, right? So just because other church leaders in your past may have sinfully taught on money, that doesn't mean you can sinfully avoid obeying Jesus' teaching on it, Okay. I think we use that kind of hurt that we have around that as an excuse sometimes for ourselves. Now, whether you were hurt or not, God tells us that giving is a primary characteristic of what it means to follow Jesus. It's what it means to be a Christian. And it's because there is this unique God-given connection between how we give and what we believe about both God and his eternity for us. It's a very profound connection that we're going to see today. You may remember from last week, the one-talent servant believed something that was incorrect about the master and his return. That's what keeps us from viewing and spending our money correctly. You know, we believe something that's incorrect about either God or Jesus and his return. It reminds me of uh, what preppers are like. Have you guys ever heard of doomsday preppers? You guys guys aware of these these types of people that are out there in our culture? It's definitely a real thing in America. I don't know. It's kind of hard to believe, I think. Uh, there are these, these, these estimates that are out there. Maybe there's up to 2 million people who are preppers. Uh, maybe, there's, maybe there's over 12 million, million people that are preppers. It depends on what source you go to. Who knows? Maybe some of you guys are preppers. I don't know. I don't know everybody that well yet. Maybe, maybe you're a prepper. But the idea is that you're preparing to live a life on your own for months, maybe up to even over a year or a couple of years underground to ride out a doomsday type of event. Right, that's what a doomsday prepper is. What compels many people to do this, the millions, 2 million to 12 million Americans, besides a bleak outlook on our future? <laughs> well, it's a deep distrust of our government and, their, and, and the authorities that are over us is what most of them cite. They have deep distrust of their authorities. They don't believe our systems, our leaders are prepared enough. They, they might even think that some of our authorities could cause this kind of thing with a nuclear fallout or whatever it might be. So they take the task of being prepared for their future into their own hands very seriously. Well, the guy who buried his talent in the parable is a lot like a prepper, very much like this. Something he believed about his authority, his master, and something he believed about the future influenced what he did with his money. He buried it. But guys, that's not what God calls us to do with our treasure that he's given us. 
Here's the main point for today. If you're taking notes, it's just like all of the other main points in our series. God gave treasure to you so he can use it through you, right? God gave treasure to you so he can use it through you. So what we have to do is remember that he's given it to us for his purposes and his mission. It's all his. You know, we, we know this about God. If, we've, if we're Christians at all, we know it's all his anyway. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Psalm 50, for every beast of the forest is his, even the cattle on a thousand hills. First Chronicles chapter 29, all this is in the heavens and in the earth that is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Head above all. It's all his, right? God owns it all. So whatever he's given us, we're to give it all back to him for his purposes and his mission. He holds the future in his hands. He's going to return one day and he's going to settle accounts with us. So we have to be prepared for that, but not by stockpiling our stuff underground, okay? That's not how we're prepared. Instead, we need to invest the things that he's given us back into his mission, into his bottom line. And that especially goes for our money. Because money is an indicator of what our heart loves. That's what the Bible is going to teach us today. Jesus taught on money so much, not to get money out of your pockets, but to get the idols out of our hearts. That's really why he taught on money. Our money shows us whether or not we love God's mission and purposes in our lives or whether we love our mission and our purposes in our lives. C.S. Lewis wrote this in his popular book, The Screwtape Letters. He said that prosperity was a way, has a way of knitting our hearts to the world. He said, prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he's finding his place in it when really it's finding its place in him. And the more money we get and spend our, on ourselves or on worldly things, the less we seem to need to depend on God and the less that we'll worship him through our giving because we're not giving much at all and the less that we'll have an eternal perspective on our lives. But when we do give money back to him, man, for his purposes, for his mission, that tethers our heart not to the world but to him and his kingdom, Right? We'll even see in the language here of Matthew chapter 6 that Jesus says it like that. He says it's almost as if we can store up for ourselves treasures in heaven by giving our money now. I mean, that's the literal language that he'll use. It's like the opposite of a prepper, right? They're storing up things for themselves here and now, and it's limited. And it'll only last for so long in this life, but Christians store up a different kind of treasure. It's a treasure for eternity. And what we do with our money now will directly impact that is what Jesus will teach us. That's the crazy thing. There's that saying, you know, you can't take it with you. But after studying our text today, we, we might not be able to take it with us, but we'll see that we can send it on ahead. That, that's the principle that Jesus is going to talk about in Matthew 6. But first, let's read the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Let's get our grounding there. Let's just remind ourselves what it is, and then we'll jump over to Matthew 6 after we explain this parable for just a few minutes. This is what it says in Matthew 25, verse 14. For it, which we said last week, is the kingdom of heaven. For the kingdom of heaven is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. And then he went on a journey. Immediately, the man who had received five talents went and put them to work and earned five more. In the same way, the man who earned two, two more. But the man who had received one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. He was very excited about it, right? And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. 
sharing your master's joy. You remember we talked about that last week. That's a huge sum of money, right? A talent was about 20 years worth of someone's wages and he had five talents, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. And the master would set him over more? Wow, that's pretty incredible. He would share in his master's joy at that point. And the man with two talents also approached. He was excited too. He said, master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Share in your master's joy. And the man who received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went off and hid your talent in the ground. So you have what is yours. And his master replied to him, You evil and lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and I would have at least received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So remember, we we ended on a high note there, right? I mean, it kind of takes you a little low there. We did some explanation on this last week. If you weren't here for the sermon, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it from last week. I don't want to rehash the whole thing, but we applied it to our talents or our God-given abilities, right? We, we even realized this parable is where we get our modern word for talent. This is where it comes from. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary cites this as the, the etymology for why we use talents as in our abilities or our gifts. You know, when we give those things to God, it glorifies him in what we do. That's what God wants to do. He wants to use those talents through us. But this week, we can certainly apply it to the literal meaning of a talent, which is a sum of money or a weight of money. And the big thing I want to point out from this parable this week is that giving isn't just a measure of spiritual maturity, although it is that, but it's an indicator of spiritual life. Okay, we talked about the meaning of the parable last week. You know, the point of the parable is to be ready for Jesus' return. That's what the point is. It's to invest what he's given you to build up his bottom line, which we talked about last week, is his mission in the world to reach people. And today I want you to see that while you, you know, you can measure your maturity in this way for sure. I mean, it's it's a measure. You can mark your maturity. How much you give is directly proportional to how mature you're becoming. It's more importantly an indicator for your spiritual aliveness or your spiritual deadness, if I could put it that way to be clear. It indicates whether or not you have spiritual life. Like there's something the faithful servants did that led to life and joy and a future with the master. The faithless servant, he hid what he'd been given and it led to what? Weeping and gnashing of teeth, death, outer darkness. What Jesus is teaching us here has to do with our eternal destination. The faithless servant was cast out for two reasons that we talked about last week. Because he viewed the master wrongly, that's the primary reason, but also because he didn't invest the money into the master's bottom line at all which followed from his view of viewing the master wrongly, right? It's both of those things. So our giving can certainly help us measure our spiritual growth, no doubt. But if we're not giving anything to God at all in our lives, it's an indicator that we're spiritually dead on the inside. And we might not even realize it. It's a scary thing about this parable. I mean, it should sober us in this way. It should confront us if we've never taken a step of putting our faith in Jesus and giving our lives back to him in tangible ways. Because one day he will return. That's the promise that we've read over the last three weeks. And when he does, we'll either enter into his joy 
or we'll be cast out. It's going to be one of those two things. It's a serious parable. And what we've done with our money now will be one of the main indicators for what God does with our eternity then. It shows us what we truly believe and what we truly love in our lives. And Jesus teaches about that in the Sermon on the Mount. So let me go, over, go ahead and flip over to Matthew chapter 6 now, starting in verse 19. This is what Jesus teaches. He says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is the darkness? Now, I know that's, that we, we're like, why does he start saying this in the middle of his teaching on money? In other words, what he's saying is, when you can't see your own greed, how deep the darkness in your heart. That's the hardest thing about greed, right? It's usually hidden and hard for us to see in ourselves. Nobody's ever come to me as a pastor and said they didn't realize they were committing adultery when they did that. Or they didn't realize they were cheating on something when they did that. Or that they didn't realize they were envious of someone else when they started to be envious of them. Because those sins are very apparent in your life. You can see them. You know that they're happening by your actions and your emotions. But listen, I've pastored many people who didn't realize they were struggling with greed. And I had to help them see that. Greed's hidden in your heart. It's hard for you to see greed. And when we think that what we're doing is light but it's actually darkness, how deep that darkness. That's what he's saying there. That's why giving our money away is so helpful, and that's why it's a command from God. He tells us to give our money away because when we start doing that, that's what, what's in our heart then comes out. And we can begin to see it. We can see it. It, it. It's put in the light. It sheds light in the darkness. Greed can't hide anymore in our heart. And so Jesus says, and he ends this section that we'll stop here, he says, no one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You just can't do it. As much as we try as Americans, it's not possible. What he's saying is your money tethers your heart to the things that you give it to, right? So your heart will either be tethered to this world or to the next world, but it's going to be one or the other. It can't be both. You will devote yourself to one and despise the other. There's no middle ground here. And what he's saying in all of this is that giving isn't just a measure of spiritual maturity, as we've said before. We, we know that. It, it is, but it's not just a measure of maturity. It's also a pathway to spiritual maturity. So you can write that down as well. Giving isn't just a measure of spiritual maturity. It's a pathway to spiritual maturity, as in the more you give, the closer you're going to get to God. That's what he's saying. You're not earning salvation. You're not earning his love. But there's something about giving your stuff away. That the more that you do that, you are devoting yourself more to him, is what he's saying here. Just like we said a, a minute ago, your giving is a measure of how you mature, for sure. But it's more than that. It's steps that you take toward maturity. So giving is an active way to mature in your life. If you want to grow in your faith, we talked about this in our Grow series a few months ago, right? When you give, you're maturing. It's steps to mature you. If you're spending all of your money on your life now, preparing for retirement, making sure you can go on that extra vacation that you want to enjoy this year, getting that sweet toy that you've always wanted to get, then you're serving something, but it's probably not God because you're not devoting yourself to him and his kingdom. You're not preparing for Jesus' return. So you're doing things to actively grow 
then that means you're going to give your money away for the sake of his mission and his purposes. Christian maturity is living in light of Jesus' return. That's just what it is. The more that you mature, the more that you're living in light of eternity and Jesus returning. You're believing that more and more. And so what you do with your money now indicates that in your life. You learn to give your money away and storing up treasure in heaven is what Jesus says. It's a pathway toward being prepared for him to come back and bring his kingdom with him. And immediately we want to say, well, what does that mean? What are you, what are you talking about? Does that mean we're supposed to just sell everything and give it all away and be poor and not be able to pay our own bills? And are we supposed to you know, join a commune and share all of our stuff or something weird like that? And the answer is, of course not, right? Part of God's purpose in giving you money is to provide for your needs. There's no doubt about that. That's, why he, that's one of the reasons why he gives us money. And the gospel is for all cultures, and it redeems all cultures, including our capitalist American society. It doesn't require you to create a commune and, and get, you know, where everything gets weird and homogenous, where everybody has to be the same thing and be automatons or whatever. You, know? you do have to spend your money on things in this life, no doubt. God has given it for that sake. But, and this is what makes greed so tricky in your heart, it's hard to find where you cross that line, isn't it? How, how do you know when you've like stepped over the line into greed? What does that look like in your life? How do you know whether you've started to spend in a selfish way with your money? And it's hard to say, but I think there's some rules of thumb, and I think C.S. Lewis gives a good rule. I was on a C.S. Lewis kick this week because he wrote in Mere Christianity this. He said, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, and amusements, etc., is up to the standard, listen to this, is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we're probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they're too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. Man, that's really interesting, right? So it seems like Christians are to live differently than their peers in the world with their money by giving more away than is comfortable. So you can write that down too. I think that's worth remembering for us. Give more away than is comfortable because we're preparing for eternity now is the point. We're growing in maturity now. Has to hurt a little. Doesn't growth equal pain, right? Pain equals growth. You can't grow without some pain. It's going to hurt. So what that means, there are things that we won't be able to do now because we're storing up treasures in heaven. We're not storing up our money now. You know, instead of going on that vacation, you might go on a mission trip one year. I'm not saying never take a vacation. I'm not saying vacations are bad. Some vacations are great if you have the ability to do that. But maybe one year you don't get to go on that vacation. You go on a mission trip instead. You know, maybe instead of buying that new car, <laughs> this is where I'm at, okay? Then you invest your money back into the mission. You invest it in the church or something. Instead of your retirement fund growing quickly one year, maybe your treasure in heaven, your eternal fund, grows a little bit more quickly that year because you shift your giving for a little while. And you might look at that and wonder, man, does Jesus mean we can actually store up treasures in heaven? Is that literally what he means? Can you really store up some kind of eternal treasure just by giving your money to that now? We talked about this before, and I don't have time to go deep into it, but yeah, treasure in heaven is people. We realize that, right? When he's talking about treasures in heaven, he's talking about the people that are entering into his kingdom. He, you, when you give your money to the mission, you're increasing worshipers that will be in heaven for all eternity with you. Man, that's huge. God tells us in the Bible, we're his treasure. We're his valued ones. All of human history is directed toward how much he values and loves and treasures us because he sent Jesus into the world. It's a rescue mission. 
So when you give your money for God's purposes and mission now, it's to grow his kingdom then. And, and his kingdom is people, right? You're investing in future souls. So he says, store up treasures in heaven. I, I said this in the beginning. I think it's worth writing down. You can write this down. That means that you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. That's literally what he's saying. You're depositing your money into something that's going to last longer than your life. The money you give now will directly impact people's eternity if you're giving it to, for the sake of his mission. Listen, when you give to the least of these, which is a ministry here in Roanoke for homeless folks, and one of the volunteers shares the gospel with that homeless person, and they start to follow Jesus and get out of their homelessness, you've just got an eternal return on your investment, right? When you give to the pregnancy center, and not only does an unborn child get saved physically, but a mom and dad hear the gospel for the first time, and they get saved eternally, you've just gotten an eternal return on your investment now. Right? When you give money here, and we are able to see nine people get baptized this year, more to come we're praying for, and they're equipped to reach, reach even more people with the gospel, man, that's eternal investment on your giving now, right? So if you really believe that, wouldn't it make sense to live with that eternal perspective every single day with your money and everything else that you have? Giving to God's mission is an eternal investment. If it's going to outlast us, wouldn't that be how we want to live our lives then if we know that and believe that, really believe that? Randy Alcorn in his book talks about this in The Treasure Principle. It's a great book. talks about how near the end of the Civil War, if you were a business owner in the South, you could read the signs of the times that the Confederate money you had was about to become worthless. And so, you know, you'd have a choice if you're a business owner in the South. What you could do is just keep your Confederate money knowing it would become worthless, and then you would be, become bankrupt at the end of the war because you could see that, you know, the war was not going the way of the South, which was good. So you could either keep your money and go bankrupt or you could exchange your money now while it still had some value and make sure that you didn't go bankrupt and you could save your business. So you could ch exchange it for the American dollar, the dollar that we use today. Which would be the wiser choice in that case if you were in that position? Would it be to trade the money now or would it be to keep the money that's going to become worthless? Well, it's a no-brainer, right? You want to trade that money so that you won't go bankrupt. That's what it's like for us with our money now. It will become worthless one day. The world will be defeated in a little while. It's losing the war, okay? And when it's overcome, the money that we're so desperate to hold on to, the money that we're so worried about in our everyday lives, it won't be worth anything. It won't be worth anything. So why wouldn't you trade it now for something that's going to last? Why wouldn't you trade it now for something that is eternal? Have you noticed the opposites for each of these topics that we've talked about over the last three weeks? You know, it was foolishness with your time. It was laziness with your talent. It's greed with your treasure. Versus the positives of those, wisdom with your time. Effort with your talent. Generosity with your treasure. The only reason that we wouldn't be wise or give effort or be generous is because we don't really believe that eternity is coming. Or we don't really think that Jesus' bottom line, his mission, is really worth it. Our spending really does show something about what's in our heart, right? So, so here's something you can write down. When God isn't first in our heart, it shows up in our giving. Whether that's our treasure or our time or our talent, doesn't really matter. But when God isn't first, it shows up.
in how we give or our lack of giving. Money is such an indicator, though, of what our heart loves. So the fact that Jesus talked about money so much and the Bible has so much to say about material wealth should make us pause for a second and go, man, there's something here that we need to pay attention to. We need to consider what we're doing with what God has given us. And if you're like me, man, that's really hard. (laughs) It just is. I'd rather stay blissfully ignorant, if I could put it that way, wouldn't you? I really don't want to see the greed in my own heart. You know, I don't want the light shed on my greed because the thing is, we all should realize this as Americans. We all have greed in our heart. We, we just do. Whether we're poor and we don't have money and we want more of it, or we've got so much that we want to keep it, it doesn't really matter. We're all greedy in some way. If you're honest, you know money is something you struggle with in your American life. How could it not be? We're surrounded by it every day. The only hope we have is this, and you can write this down. Jesus was perfectly generous for us and to us. That's the only hope that we have to overcome this greed in our hearts. He was generous for us. So let's talk about that. He lived the perfectly generous life that we should live, but we never will. We always hold something back for ourselves. I mean, we're never going to make perfectly generous decisions with our money. No matter how much money that we give away, we'll always have a greedy place in our heart for ourselves. But see, Jesus was perfectly generous for us in our place. But then he was generous to us. And he traded his life for ours. He made his own life worthless because we were worth eternally more to him. Isn't that beautiful? That's the beauty of the gospel that we believe. He gave up his comfort and his status and his power. The riches of heaven, the Bible says. He gave all of that up for us. He became poor for our sake so that we could be made rich. We're his treasure. And he treasured us so much that he died in our place. The death that we deserve for our greed. He paid the debt that we owe to God, the debt that we could never repay on our own. He was generous to us in that way. So he was generous for us and to us. And then he rose from the dead to seal our eternity with him forever. Just like the master says to the two faithful servants in the parable, more will be given to us, not because of what we've done with the money, though, because of what Jesus did on our behalf. That's the beauty of the gospel for us. Jesus conquered sin and death for us so that we could be given eternity the riches of eternity. The master's riches are beyond our wildest imagination. We get to enter his kingdom with him. Man, what a thought. And when we live with that eternal perspective now, that God has given treasure to us, man, that treasure we know is is nowhere near as trivial as money. It's nowhere near as trivial as the material wealth that we have. It's eternity with him forever, with all of the saints of all time, and we get to worship God Forever and ever and ever. Those are the riches. That's the treasure that he's given us. And when we see that that's the true treasure, he'll use our earthly treasure through us to that end. So it's worth asking yourself this. How am I investing God's money in his purposes and mission now? How how am I investing it now? I'll give you an example of this for Tamara and I. It's by God's grace that we're starting to grow in this and we've grown in this over the years. We're still growing in it, by the way, of course. There's a long way for us to go. But we always try to push ourselves to give more and more to the mission. Not because we're afraid of God, not because we want to do it out of a sense of duty to earn God's love or something like that, but in response to the generosity he's shown us. Because we know that we already have God's love, we want to be more and more generous. 
And so we're celebrating a milestone that I wanted to share with you guys. I've been praying this for our family for the last three years since we moved here to Roanoke in 2020 to plant the church. I've told you before, uh, there's not a lot of money in church planting, okay? <laughs> uh, I promise you that. I, it's, it's not a way to get rich. If you want to plant a church, that's not how you're going to get rich. And I had to take a pay cut to move here. Uh, we, we didn't move here to you know, make a lot of money, but I started praying once we got here on the ground. I said, God, please, would you allow us to be, by 2023... Would you allow us to be financially overflowing? And what that means for us is that we're able to give double what we were giving in 2020 on a monthly basis. So I want to be able to give double what we were giving when we moved here in 2020. And if I'm honest, I don't know that I really expected God to answer that, okay? I just just didn't expect God would do that for us. But man, I'm kind of surprised and overwhelmed that he did. Because starting this month, we're celebrating the milestone just this month. We gave our first... Our first tithe back to God, you know, on November 1st. We're able to give double the amount every month now that we were giving in 2020. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? What a goal that God has helped us overcome. It's huge for us as a family. And one of the reasons I wanted to be able to do that is to go first in giving in our church. And I think this might be why we have a lot of church hurt uh, from people in the past or whatever it is. Because I think there are a lot of pastors that might... Uh, go wrong when they preach it because too often they'll preach on giving and not lead in giving, right? And I want you guys to know that Michael and I, as your directional elders, we take this very seriously. I'm never going to ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself, that God has commanded us to do, by the way, right? Because I know that, you know, giving isn't just an indicator of where your heart's at. It's an indicator of where mine's at too, right? So I want to lead you guys in that. I hope you'll follow in that as we continue to progress as a church it's no coincidence that in God's economy, one of the things that grows our faith is also one of the things that takes the mission the farthest. So you can write this down as well. Giving grows us and God's kingdom. Giving grows us and God's kingdom. It's all his, as we've talked about, and his mission will always be supplied. There's no doubt about that. He owns everything, right? But when we give, we get to be a part of it with him. Man, what a beautiful thing that he allows us to enter into this with him. We've done this every December as a church, and so I want to commit this to you guys again as we prepare for December to come up here. But one of the ways that we want to participate in his mission together is what we call the multiply offering. We do this every year now. I mean, this is our third year, so we've done it for every year now as a church plant. And the reason that we do this is really twofold. The disciple, it will disciple you to become more and more mature in your faith. We want to be good stewards of you. We want to disciple you us. We want to push you to give. That's the only way you're going to start to grow in your faith. Remember in the growth series, gospel, gather, groups, give, and go. Those five things will mature you over time. So we want to push you to give. But also the second thing is really we want to see God do more here. We want to see more happen here in our church and in Roanoke. And our giving is proportional to that. Uh, in God's economy, this is how it works. The more we give, the further we can go in ministry. It just works that way. Now, I really do mean it, though, when I say this. If you have baggage with that, and it makes you uncomfortable in a way that you just can't get past, then apply everything that I've said and I'm about to say to another missional organization here in our city. I really mean that. Now, if you can't apply it and you can't give your money away, then you've got a heart problem, okay? You've got a heart problem. But if, you're, if, it's, if there's baggage and you're like, man, I just can't give to the church, I'm afraid you're asking for my money in, in a bad way or whatever, then give it to another missional organization. But if you call this church your church home, then we want you to go all in with us this December. 
mean, you heard the, the goal last year. We blew it out of the water. God did that through our generosity. And we were able to use it for those three multiply ministry lanes, sort of, right? There's the third one tacked onto the end, the building. That we're like, yeah, that one didn't get to work out. That one took a little longer. Well, that's what I want to lay out for you guys this year because we're going to have two ministry lanes this year. The first thing is that we want to start by giving 10% of whatever we raise in December away. So if we raise $80,000, which is going to be our goal, by the way, since we hit 71 last year, come on, we have more people in our church. God can do that through us. $80,000 is our goal. Then that means 8,000 of it, we're just going to give away right off the top. We want it, we want it to go to, to ministries here in Roanoke and more details on that to come. But the rest of the multiply offering, the 90%, will go to a new building so that we can be more effective in the mission here. You know, buildings are tools, but some tools are better than others. We've been saying that for the last year. So we know that we'll be able to do more and, and see more life change in people if we're able to get into a permanent location. We don't have to set up and tear down like we did last night and this morning. We had to come back in and set everything back up. God can do that through us. And I don't have time to go into all the details today. We'll, over the next month or so, be laying a lot of this out for you guys. But what I do want to do if you call Redemption Church your home is to invite you to an elder-led prayer meeting on December 3rd that we're going to have and host together. We're going to worship together. It's going to be at 4 o'clock on a Sunday after church. We'll give you an update on where we think God is taking us with the building, and then we're going to pray about it together. Because we do. We need to seek God on this. And I don't want to oversell it, but it's probably one of, if not the most important meetings that we'll have as a church outside of our launch you know, when we launched in 2021. Because this will take us into the next step of what it means to be a church here in Roanoke. So I really want you guys to make sure you make plans to come to that. It's gonna be really important for us. And I want you to begin thinking about how you need to invest in the mission this December in the multiply offering. So, you know, take, take the next step. We like to do this for everybody when, when we're talking about giving. If you're not giving now, take the step of starting to give. Give something. Give as big as you're able to because his mission is worth it, right? If you're, ready to, if you're already giving, you know, some amount, then try to make 10% the floor of your giving, not the ceiling. Try to make 10% the baseline of your giving. We want that to be the case for all of us. And if you're already giving 10%, man, I'm going to ask you to give sacrificially this year. Give above and beyond that. For the last two years, the challenge for us has been to give double in December what you normally give. Tamara and I will do that this year. We will give double what God has given to us and what we normally give. So in December, though it's going to hurt and we're going to feel it, we're committing to do that, to lead in giving. But some of you guys, man, you need to take the step, whatever it is for you. What step do you need to take? We'll have a commitment Sunday, the second Sunday in December. So I want you to plan on being here for that where we all commit to give to the Multiply Offering. And we do this every year. We want to commit and take it seriously. How much are we willing to give God? So we're going to do that together in the second Sunday of December because it can't just be me and Tamara. It can't just be me and our directional elders. It can't just be me and the leadership of our church giving in a large way. It's got to be, it's got to be you too. We've all got to do this together. My prayer and really my challenge is that it will be 100% participation. 100% participation in this. Some of you guys might need to give above and beyond even more than double because you have it, because God has gifted you in that. Some of you just need to take that step, whatever it is for you. I hope you'll be obedient to remember that God has given treasure to you so he can use it through you because the more we give, the faster we can run 
And we want to see our kids and students saved here through our church more effectively with a new location. We want parents baptizing their children like I got to do in August with my two girls. We want more and more kids and students to be invested in and sent out for the sake of the mission here in Roanoke. We want to see college students and young pros on fire for the mission. We want to see stay-at-home moms and business professionals and medical professionals in our community living on mission where they're at and inviting people into their church family. We want to see God change the culture of our schools and our workplaces and our cultural centers here in our city. And we believe that a new building will help us do that much more effectively and much faster in the coming years. Buildings are just tools, but there are tools that are better than others. And this tool has been great. We thank God for it. He provided it for us. But now I believe he's pushing us to take the next step and be in a permanent location where we can do those things permanently for his glory and for the sake of bringing people into the kingdom with us, storing up our treasures in heaven. If we want to see God do all this and more, then we got to give. We've got to be willing to give. And I, listen, listen, I believe he will do this. I believe he will do it because he wants to build his kingdom in Roanoke. That's one reason why we planted a church here. The question for us is, will we participate with him in it? And to what extent? Have you ever heard of a Ponzi scheme? I'll end with this. Yeah, there you go. It's just like the parable of the talents. It just takes you real, takes you right to the high spot, right? It comes from a con artist named Charles Ponzi back at the turn of the 20th century. He promised investors a 50% return on their investment within 45 days. It was, it was insane. It was unheard of. It was too good to be true, okay? Because when he delivered that to his initial investors, then he had a ton more people clamoring to give them, uh, to give their money to him so that they could get the same kind of return, right? The problem was he wasn't actually investing the money in anything. What he was doing is taking the later investors' money and giving it to the earlier investors' money so that they would look like they were getting that 50% return. And then as everybody gave him hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars, he spent it all on himself. He didn't invest any of it. They were giving him their money so that he would invest it and steward it well on their behalf. And he didn't do any of that. You know, Bernie Madoff was a more recent Ponzi schemer. Same deal, right? He used people's money, multi-million dollars. He used it to buy homes, to buy yachts, to buy private jets. All the while, they were giving them, they were giving him their money to steward. And he was just using it selfishly. He'd stolen the money for his purposes and his mission in life, which was for himself. And my question to us is, do we treat the things that God has given us the exact same way? It's not our money. That's the point. If we're Christians, it's not ours. God gave treasure to us so that he could what? Use it through us, right? Are you stealing it from him and acting like it's yours every day? We give because he gave. Let's be a giving church with our time, talent, and treasure. Let me pray. God, thanks so much for listening with us today. We hope that it was an encouragement to you. But you know, we don't see this as a replacement for gathering with other believers in a local church context. So if you don't have a local church, we would encourage you to plug in with one wherever you are. And if you're in Roanoke, Virginia, we'd love to invite you to plug in with us here at Redemption Church. And you're welcome anytime to gather with us. But you can check us out online at our our website, redemptionroanoke.com. You can look for other content or resources there. But thanks again for listening.